Welcome to Dragon Talk. How's it going? I love the way he just turns it on. <laughs> Not going, I'm, I'm Greg Tudor know, in real right. life. Blah, blah. It, Dragon Talk. I can ramp right up. Really. I'm right into it. I know, but you're not really on boring demand. in real life. It's true. It's true. Uh, it's, it's mostly from, you know, this is this is pure uh, Jolt Cola that I've been drinking. And when you hear that time. little... I know. It's like it's it gets like, like jazz and ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dragon Talk's ready. I'm Greg Tito. In case you didn't know know who we were talking about, uh, who is uh, the crazy man and crazy person. Interrupted you. Uh, you are... The interrupter. The interrupter. Shelly Mazanoble. Uh, and we're excited about knock, today knock. because we are talking to two folks from RPG Research. So excited. I've been, I know. I have been looking They're, forward to this interview for a very long time. It's true. Exactly. We've we always wanted... talking about As of we. That's right. Good. Uh, so we have Hawk Robinson and John Welker. Uh, who, just real quick, you guys go around and, and, and well, yeah, why don't you do it real quick? What, 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 our, what is RPG Research? Our quick blurb. RPG Research is a nonprofit research and community services organization. We study the effects of all RPG formats, tabletop, live action, computer-based, and solo adventure books and modules. Started research in 1983 and shared online since 2004. We work with populations including at-risk youth, autism spectrum, ADHD, traumatic brain injury, PTSD, depression, Drug rehab transition, inpatient, outpatient, and much more. Awesome. That sounded a little bit like a drug commercial at the end where you were like, <laughs> yeah, listening. you have to say it faster. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the side effects include. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, but then you also guys have a trailer. We'll get to all the real interview, but you, got, you guys brought a trailer here, which was pretty cool to see. Yeah. A yeah. mobile gaming facility that's wheelchair accessible. Yeah. We take all over the, so far the Northwest, but around the country. I actually. love all that. Everything we've talked about uh, is super exciting. I have tons of follow-up questions, but we, I promise we'll get to it. Let's get to the news. In a second. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, I know, right? And now the news. We Got it. All right, we have a co-host if we ever need to. You know. <laughs> I did radio for a few years as well. Oh, he's got a voice yeah, for no, radio. You really do have a good voice for and a good name for it. Thank you. Very Hawk. cool. Hawk Robinson. Hawk Robinson. Uh, so what's going on in the Dungeons & Dragons world? Uh, You're we, asking me? I am. It's a rhetorical question, really. Mm, you tell me. Uh, so uh, one thing I want to make sure everyone knows about it, super cool, is uh, people who have been following the Unearthed Arcana Articles uh, that Mike Merles and Jeremy Crawford put out there. Some of it has playtest material, things like that. It's hotly anticipated by uh, some members of the community who like to find out about new stuff that might be yep. coming down the pipe. That is now available in D&D Beyond. Uh, the week after it is published on our site, you can download, if it's like a sub class or a different kind of race or something mechanical that you can try out in character building, you can now try that out in D&D Beyond. That's which really is, cool. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Cool. Now, are you trying it out? With the intention of giving feedback on it, still, or yes, is it, okay, yeah, that's the whole. Yeah, that was it, it was when we talked about this. We're like, well, we don't want people to think it's official yeah. material uh, and get confused. But as long as it's flagged as yeah. unofficial, the real benefit for for the team here in this building is to be able to get that feedback. People public play, data, yes, exactly. It's people get to play data. with it, tell us what that's doesn't really work, cool. uh, and we didn't want to put up any more roadblocks to that. Uh, we want people to use it as cool. much as possible. And they're in D and D Beyond making characters. Why not just make a test character? Why not? If you're going to play out now, I kind of want to redo my character. It's right. Yeah, you can make the what was the the circle of spores was a uh, subclass for the druid that they just released in the most recent thing. So, Zuggamoy, yeah, right, Underdark. Oh my god! Right, if you're if you're playing as a Mykonid, uh, or you really like the the Zuggamoy wedding as Shelley really did that piece of art that we did. Oh, that was so beautiful. It is great. Yeah, it was my favorite moment of the game that I played that in Out of the Abyss too. That was one of my favorite moments as well. Her wedding. Her wedding. Yeah, being able to describe as she's walking down with all of her uh, hand people. Hand person, hand things. Mykonids, <laughs> they're 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 crazy. Uh, uh, I keep saying crazy. I don't I don't mean to, but they are. Bridemaidzillas. Uh, yes, exactly. That's the word. Yeah. 
Uh, what else is going on in Dungeons and Dragons? What about Avalon Hill? Do you have any fun things? Well, I mean, yes. There's a fun thing that we haven't talked about yet. <sighs> There's lots of fun things we haven't talked about yet for Avalon Hill. Although we've kind of talked about it, but I'm not going to tell you when and where. Oh, man. Mm. Shelly, you are the, the lady of mystery. But we can talk about Betrayal Legacy. Do you guys like board games? Yes. Yeah. I demo uh, Betrayal on the Hill at um, the game store I work at. Oh, really? You yeah. work at a game store as well as all the other things you do? Yeah. I, I, I do um, organize play there, and I for run demos game. for many oh. other games. Um, the Betrayal on the ha- House on the Hill and as well as the Betrayal Baldur's Gate. Yes. We love to play that one. Yeah, he, he, the whole Inland Empire, he's doing the organized play over there. He's a representative over there. You're speaking wow, Shelley's language. Yeah. Thanks for all that. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're making feedback. a Betrayal Legacy game. That sounds like an uh, awesome. Is it going to be um, Baldur's Gate or is it going to be back to the house again? We're going back to the house. Okay. Yeah. So if you've ever wondered, what is up with this house? <laughs> you can find out. I'm That's literally on the it. box, right? It's what, a, is it's, what is up, up with this house? house? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was like supposed to be the name. Joey from Fuller House is there. <laughs> yeah. Like, what was his thing? I he used to say... There was lots of catchphrases. We were watching some <sighs> Fuller House uh, over the weekend. Oh, wait. It wasn't Fuller House. It was Blossom. Oh, uh, yeah. That's right. That's what I was thinking. Right. Well, he had a, a saying. What was his saying? Caller, are you there? Can you tell us the saying from... <laughs> uh, but other th- talking about other things that we watched this weekend, yes. I went to go see a play uh, called Don't Split the Party. Culture. Here in Seattle, and it was very interesting, and I loved it. It was accurate for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, which I thought was a- admirable and... Uh, uh, you know, just uh, they did their research. They were definitely players. They were people who did it, and it was a back and forth. Is this the theater you talked about that your production uh, last, you were talking about this? Is this the theater that you talked about your production uh, uh, no, audience, or is this a different theater? No, it's a different theater. Okay, this is one, one. Uh, okay. here by uh, the, it was actually right by the um, uh, stadiums here in Seattle. Oh, okay. Uh, so it was like a small black box theater, which was kind of cool. It was like kind of like this room where it was black box, not, you know, maybe three times, four times the size, and they had a game room set up, nice. and it was like shelves in the background. The set was awesome because I was like, oh, yeah, I know that game. Looks I know like that game. House. I know that game. Uh, so and what was it about? It was about a group of, uh, you know, uh, adult 25 to 30 who w- had played weekly D&D for a long time, and something happened in their last session three months ago. And the dungeon master kind of tricks everyone to show up at his house. And he's like, we're not leaving until we resolve the issue that came up. So uh, you find out what this issue was and then they yeah. go through the steps to try to resolve right. it within the game? With Both. Both okay. within the game and outside the game. So it was wow. a lot of back and forth. But it, it was admirable in that they had like – there was you know there was definitely 20 minutes where they're just playing D&D and it didn't really feel – uh, like a play, it felt very much like, oh, that's a live play session like, like we would like do on, on the channel here, right? Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of that, and but there was also a lot, there was like a new person who had never played before in the group, uh, and so there was a lot of, oh, we're going to tell that person the rules so they know the rules of D&D, uh, which, was, which was interesting, I think it was necessary if you're going to take this play and put it on like Broadway or something like that, but for me, I was like, I don't need to hear about the yeah. rules, I want to know what's happening, what the drama was. Uh, what was their representation of the players? Were they dysfunctional or average Joes? Because that's been a big problem in media is that so many of the representations are dysfunctional players. Misfits. They were all functional okay. people. Yeah. Uh, that was part of it was that they were growing up, yeah. you know, relationships were changing, there was a, a, one of the characters had just recently gotten married and she was the new person who was coming in uh and there was also um 
uh, you know, there was two women players. There was, uh, and I think the dungeon master might have been on the spectrum, kind of on based on how he was acting. Which I, I just thought, mean the stereotypes of I'm living in my mom's basement. I don't have any work, and completely emotionally, we uh, we have to watch so many videos documentaries, mockumentaries as part of our research. So I've had to wade through so many awful movies. Right. But they're released and they get awards at film festivals and things like that. And they're horrible representations of gamers. Or, or like only only representing a very small percentage uh, of gamers. Very, yeah, well, a stereotype, yeah. Yeah. not a the majority. And, and, they're, yeah. and they're very painful to watch. And I do it because of the research, but... So it's, it's nice to hear that. And then... Um, there's a local group here in Seattle, Zombie Orpheus Entertainment and Dead Gentlemen. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. heard of them. Yeah. They do The Gamers and yeah. Journey Quest. Right. They've probably some of the best representations of all of that, you know, more functional but still entertaining and humorous and uh, much more positive uh, representation of gamers than a lot of the other media. I really like that it was not uh, yeah. uh, that way because it was, I mean, they felt like me. They felt like my pe- the people that I, my peer group, Excellent. the people that I hang out with. And, I, I, and what they were talking about was very... Um, uh, apropos to what's happening in the world right now, too, right? right? Which I also really liked. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, it's, not, it's no longer playing. Uh, but I hope it gets picked up and more people want to do it. It was uh, a really great experience. We called "Don't Split the Party." I want to give the playwright a shout out. His name was Nathan Kessler Jeffrey, um, and uh, yeah, it was good. Clearly, times. a D and D player. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wonder what if this was based on his something. His that happened, yeah, like yeah. his own group, or um, based on his bio, it says that his wife actually introduced him to D and D, and mm-hmm. you could tell there was definitely some some you know art imitating life uh, going on there. But you know, it seemed to to uh, mm-hmm. be the springboard for it more than anything else. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. I hope more people do it, and I hope more plays and and videos and movies uh, pick up that part of yeah. what's happening with the Dungeons and Dragons fandom now. So it's not quite so stereotypical, right. as you said. Uh, yeah. And we'll we'll talk about this, I promise, when we get to the interview, because uh, I basically brought you guys here so you could uh, convince my mom that it's okay to play Dungeons & Dragons. Still trying. Still trying. Poor Greg. Still pulling it. Meanwhile, my mom's like, oh, I wish I knew about Dungeons & Dragons when you were little. It would have yeah. been perfect for it you. It would have been perfect. Speaking of which, I actually played. I played with uh, Edna and Fiona. No way. Yeah, I played with my girls. So they're six and four. And I had a bag of dice in uh, just around, like it was on, on the desk. And my four-year-old kept asking me, like, what is this? What is this? I'm like, it's dice. You play D&D with it. I've told you that before. And she's like, can we play d and I'm like, yeah, sure. I didn't know if, I mean, she kept asking and asking and asking. Eventually, I'm like, yeah, let's play. Let's do it. All right, let's go. So what did you do? I just did a real simple, like, you're, you know, I didn't even worry about numbers they or anything. Characters? They had characters, but I just asked, like, what do you want to do? You want to be a, a hunter? And she's like, oh, yeah, I want to be a hunter. I'm like, okay, you're a huntress. You work for this elf company or this elf <laughs> kingdom. Uh, and uh, I had Fiona first. I didn't want to play. And then. Oh, I. That's surprising. I know, right? And then so we just basically were like, all right, you want to, there's, and I played the, the Lord Chamberlain was like the, the quest giver, uh, essentially. It was like, you have a job, you're the hunter, so you got to go out. And actually, I was like, oh, so what did you do? Uh, and she, I was like, and just randomly, she was just like, well, my first mission, I did this. And my second mission, I did this. And the third mission, I did this. And, they, and I was furiously writing notes because they were happening so fast. But she basically had like four or five plot hooks they that she gave me. They haven't lost touch the way we have. It's oh just natural God. for them. It's totally natural. I know. I wish I, had the, I wish I had the notes with me right now because they were all this. super detailed. They were all like, okay, so there was a, a undeath. Uh, or like the the nature wasn't working, and so I shot the spell book with the missile, and then that broke the spell, and everything was okay after that. I was like, whoa, okay, that's super. I was like, what's the name of the wizard? And the wizard's name was so and so. I forget, but I wrote that down because I'm like, okay, he's gonna be a 
like a villain in the future is like, oh, this wizard that did this awful thing. And oh it was, my she God. gave me like five plot hooks to use in the future. It was amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And then we played for like an hour and then they kind of. An hour? Yeah. They kind of spun off after that. They, they, you know, they, they actually came up with a lot of like non-combat ways to, uh, there was like wolves that they were attacking and they were like supposed to take out the wolves. They didn't shoot it. They actually just like befriended the wolf. And they're like, you're our friend now. I have this magic, I have this magic bottle uh, that feeds, feeds uh, creatures. And she rolled a 20. Edna rolled a 20 diplomacy because no this wolf was like charging at them and ready to attack. So you were actually having them roll to see if they were a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, not like tons, but like if it was, okay, you try something, roll that dice. Yeah. Tell me what you get. That's yeah, perfect. I didn't really worry too much about like modifiers no. or adding or anything. I was like, that was high. So you, you did it. All right. Yeah. You got a 19. Great. Your wolf is your friend now. What's his name? It's now your, your animal companion because no. I know Edna loves animal companions. So she latched on. We've that. gone as young as two and a half years old. Two and a half. Both neurologically normal and like autism spectrum and such with uh, live action and tabletop modified versions They Ooh. where you don't worry about getting. But we use like big foam dice to roll yeah. and such so they can play with that. They have a lot of fun. And it's more physical moving around because of the age. But two and a half years old quite well. That's cool. Uh, yeah. They respond to just having stuff. Right. It, it, for them, it's automatic and natural. Right. We as adults, like, poo-poo gameplay and, and let's pretend and all of that. Yeah. They're already pretending. You, they're already yeah, there. It's very right. natural yeah, it's, Exactly. Very cool. Uh, so we have uh, uh, Dragon Plus happening tomorrow, uh, Tuesday at 2 p.m. here on the channel. Bart will be talking to Duck Davison from Fantasy Grounds, oh, which Doug. I'm excited because I think that's Bart's thing. Is like, oh, let's teach me how to play this. And he's going yeah. to have Doug talk about Fantasy Grounds and how to work it. Uh, then I, and he also has an interview uh, with the artist for the most recent cover of Dragon Plus, and I'm blanking on his name. Uh, but he is going to be also playing that interview before I do oh, D and D news. Say. He already did that interview. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that'll be happening too. And then I'll do D and D news tomorrow. And then we have uh, dice camera action at four p.m. Um, with uh, Rachel Seeley is going to be joining again. Uh, her character uh, did not die. We're so good for her. Wow. <laughs> uh, she's going to be oh, returning guest. Uh, <clears throat> it, it's true. <laughs> you never know. Chris has a bad habit of uh, of, of killing off oh, you're guests. Uh, except for the last couple. You know, bag of nails and everything's already good to go. Hmm. Um, and uh, so that'll be excited. That's episode number 78. Uh, again, Rachel, you might know her as Moira from Girls Guts Glory. Uh, it's exciting to see her uh, on the uh, channel playing. She'll be playing a different character. Is that uh, the Greek goddess of fate or something like that? Uh, yes, it must be. Yes. <laughs> Moira. Moira. It's more of an Irish brogue kind of thing to it, so it's uh, it's an Irish goddess of fate, perhaps. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then uh, we've got Miss Glick's D&D Risen happening at 4 p.m. on, uh, that's the last, I think, episode of that uh, on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Uh, and then Fury's Fate is also having their season finale at 6 p.m. that night as well. So lots of cool stuff happening. Uh, and uh, a couple of stories ending, but we got stuff coming back, including Encounter Roleplay on Saturday uh, at 3 p.m. Will Jones uh, and the crew will be back teaching uh, how to Dungeon Master, or at least give you some, some pointers on how to Dungeon Master. That's one of the conceits of that show. They'll play for a little while, and then he will take put on his cone of silence and talk to the audience more about uh, what his choices were and why he did what he did. His cone of silence. I know. Missed it by that much. <laughs> That's a reference for, for all you Get Smart fans out there. Huh? All right. 
Soon, soon, you will learn uh, why Get Smart is cool. Uh, all right, so we're going to take uh, uh, a little, not a break so much as get to a segment. Yes. Finally, and then we can actually talk to you in more, di- I have like, again, five more follow-up questions for both of you guys uh, about all the research that you do. Uh, but we will now have, oh, and I used to have the thing in front of me where I knew exactly Aww, what they were going to be man. talking about this segment. People were impressed that you were. I know. We'll have this segment going Brian right that. about now. Bing bong. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by a singular lore master today. His name is Chris Perkins. Hola. How's it going? Great. We are here, as we do in many of these segments, to talk about little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore that you can use in your game or just for your own edification. I love dumping my brain out. (laughs) <laughs> these things. It's got uh, tendrils of brain matter all over these microphones yep. uh, in addition to uh, the, you know, the other stuff we're talking about. Uh, so today is a very contentious subject amongst fiends. It is mm. the blood war. Ooh, the blood war. Uh, which I, didn't, I, I don't think even before I started working here, I knew there was a name for this ancient conflict between devils and demons. Right? Yes. That's it in a nutshell. But wh- why? Right. Why do they hate each other, these people? These yes. people, these creatures um because evil consumes itself um it's like imagine it's like every evil party of adventurers that you've ever had in dnd um they're basically on a ticking clock a countdown to self-annihilation um (laughs) how can we screw this up more so yeah i i i have yet to see an evil party that can basically sustain itself in perpetuity, right. without turning on one another and devouring each other. This is an amplification, I think, of that <laughs> very concept. Oh. Uh, the nature that in, in the primal universe, evil comes in many shades, but you can't, they, they just simply cannot coexist for any length of time. Yeah. Now, the Blood War uh, kind of traces its origins back to one, one of the earlier editions. I think it first really came out in second edition with the Planescape setting. Hmm. And there, were, there was a product devoted to it. And then its, its name just started coming up everywhere. And it just sort of, I think the, the nature of the name Blood War is evocative enough that people are sort of intrigued to learn more about it. Right. Um, like what, what, whose blood? Yeah. And some of them, sometimes I know they're a little bit disappointed when they find out that it's an evil on evil thing. Mm. Um, right. Because, you think it has to do with, 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 you know, like a schism between races or something right. like that. Right. Yes, but what happens is uh, the abyss spawns an infinite number of devils constantly. And were there no powers uh, to in check to basically deal with that, devil demons would overrun the multiverse. Um, but Asmodeus and his devils, uh, who are, exist in the lower planes as well, realize this is a, a problem for them. And so they have basically forged a bulwark against the demonic invasion of the multiverse um, because it doesn't serve Asmodeus's interests to let the abyss swallow up everything. Mm. Um, not when he wants to control everything. I guess, yeah, that's a fundamental difference between yeah. demons and devils is demons just, they don't, there's no thought of what's going to happen after they consume. No, demons are about something. entropy and annihilation, yeah. um, and they have no will uh, to do much other than to consume and destroy. 
uh, and they give no thought to what would happen if they actually succeeded. Yeah. Um, or they don't, if it is, they don't yes, care. Right. Their desires are insatiable and they have no sense of real consequence uh, to their actions. Um, and so, but devils, on the other hand, are all about uh, power, control, tyranny, servitude, and they lose everything if the abyss wins. Right, because um, they, they don't want everything right. to be destroyed. Right. The problem that devils have is they do not have a, a way to create new devils except through the acquisition of souls, the corruption and acquisition of souls. So in order to sustain their armies, they have to go out into the world and corrupt more mortals so that their souls go to the nine hells and become more devils. And so they're constantly facing attrition while the demons are just spouting out more and more and more of them. Yeah. Now, to their, one of the advantages that the devils have is that they're highly organized, regimented, structured. You know, they've got a pyramid structure, Asmodeus at the top, lemurs at the bottom, and a, a firm structure all the way up. Yeah. Whereas demons tend to be completely in disarray, disorganized. They often fight amongst each other. That bickering right. kind of makes it hard for them to defeat the organized forces of hell, even though they often outnumber them dramatically. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, Demons come swarming out of the abyss. Uh, they go up the river Styx, which bleeds into the first layer of the Nine Hells, which is called Avernus. And there these great battles are waged, for the most part. That's not to say there aren't other fronts, but by far the biggest front is Avernus. And, that's where, the, right, and that's where the devils meet the demons head on. The devils raise their fortresses up along the river. They assail the demons as they come through, and they send wave after wave of marched souls and slaves and whatever else they got, uh, hell engines, out to crush the demonic spawn that have intruded upon their plane. And Is this just a constant state of battle? Is there yes, always yes. this... Wave after wave. Huh. And, never, and it on. never stops. It, it never, it's never ending. The demons are unrelenting. Um, so it is, it is brutal and vicious, and that's why Avernus, the layers, just sort of littered with and, and just sort of strewn with the ichor of slain demons and the destroyed hulks of, you know, infernal machines that the demons have torn apart. And then, um, you know, uh, sometimes if the devils are really brazen, they'll be able to corrupt an entire city and drag the entire city into hell mm. and then convert all of those forces into legions they can throw at the demons. Like right. there's just no yes. end to the ingenuity that devils will use in order to get people to fight their war for them. Yeah. But that's essentially the fundamental nature of the blood war is uh, the demons rush to destroy everything and the devils throwing themselves at the demons to stop it. Now, there are other wars fought against demons here, there, and everywhere, but on the, on the grand scale, there's really nothing to compare with the magnitude of the blood war. Interesting. Now, we also mentioned Yugoloth before. Uh, I'm glad you brought them up. Yes, because how do they figure into, into this yes. conflict? So one of the, I mentioned that sometimes they'll drag a city in or something like that. Well, Asmodeus, crafty fellow that he is, yeah. um, lord of the nine, master of the nine hells, um, he recruits Yugoloths as mercenaries and soldiers and drives them in droves against the demons as well. So you will often find Yugoloth companies in the Nine Hells fighting mm-hmm. battles alongside the devils or separate battles in the lair of Avernus. So even though by their nature, Yugoloths are fiends that are neutral in 
the blood war, they yes. will still just get the money and go yes. wherever the money is. And there are some demon lords who will have Yugoloths on their side as well. Right. You know, if they if they can round up something that the the Yugoloths want, would be a treasure or something else, they'll have Yugoloths on that side. And so you might have some Yugoloth on Yugoloth fights. Yeah. Um, uh, each of them paid by the other side. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, the, a lot of these ideas are so intrinsic to D&D itself. I mean, it's, it's really the idea of chaos versus order. Yes. Which is yes. really interesting to, to, to yeah. think about because it's not just, I mean, both of them being evil, you know, there's not the morality. It's more of like the ideas of, of you know, uh, freedom know, or and, and, yeah. and not chaos, you know, but of, of regimented order and things like that. And those, mm-hmm. are, those are ideas that yeah. can the, the really blood, be powerful. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a really good point to make. The blood war is not a battle between good and evil. It's a battle between law and chaos. And so it's unusual in that way. Yeah, um, it reminds me of uh, Michael Moorcock and those. That, yes, that's uh, very much so. Vein of, of yes. writing that isn't the moralistic, romantic fairy tale that right. a lot of D and D can be, and it's more about what would happen if there was the yep. absence of morality. And just now you do see to... echoes of the Blood War on other planes, like for instance on the material plane in a city. You know, if there's a, a cult of Asmodeus operating out of Waterdeep, and they hear that there are demon lord or demon cults spawning up in the city. Mm-hmm. You might basically see them throw down as well, um, because those demon cults represent an extension of the blood war. They could summon demons, and then suddenly you've got demons in the world to deal with. Yeah. Well, you'll often see diabolical cults of the nine hells come at them, and so a city might become embroiled in a blood war conflict between acolytes of the nine hells, devotees of Asmodeus, and the crazy demon-worshipping cultists. Right, because, I mean, if, if, if the devils don't have those recruiting centers set up in places of population, then, you know... Then where are they going to get their souls? Where are they going to get their souls? Exactly. Right, exactly. So the demons, even though, you know, they, they can be a mindless kind of chaotic horde, they also right. have enough intelligent yes. people, uh, uh, fiends on that yeah. side to be and like, hey, a, we need to stop And if a demon that. lord hears that, you know, uh, an entire city has fallen under the tyranny of a, you know, a king devoted to Asmodeus, and that whole city might be corrupt... The demons might want to destroy it, right? Because there's, you know, a million souls that will feed the armies that will come at them later. If we're going to pick a target, let's pick one that are the, you know, the, yes. the, the other side of the blood war has right. got control over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why not? Um, that's interesting. So, the uh, shifting tracks a little bit to out of the abyss. Uh, where there was demons. There was like the last time yes. there was a lot of uh, uh, stuff written about demons uh, in in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Uh, why didn't uh, the devils get involved? when the demons were rampaging through the, through the Underdark? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, and actually, what we have talked about, this is a little behind the curtain peak, yeah. it, when we were um, formulating the Out of the Abyss story, it was kind of part one of two. And the second part would be dealing with the, the devils and how oh. they respond. Okay. And the way we had sort of sliced it is the demons are boiling into the Underdark, and all kinds of things going on down there. The second half of the story is the devils are trying to take over the surface. Mm. So you would have basically, you know, the plane of the world kind of serving as the barrier between these two evil forces. And uh, so one of the ideas we have is a story or stories that focus on uh, Asmodeus stepping up to the plate. Oh, I see. And saying, coming to cities in the Forgotten Realms, say, and saying, you know, you guys have a real problem. Um, demons have basically run roughshod through the Underdark, and they could boil up at any minute. I can help you with that. 
I've got just the thing. I've got just the thing. All you need to do is sign this mm. or, you know, something like that. Right. So, but he's waiting for those demons to boil up. Right. Because as the pressure builds and the terror mounts, that's when he moves in as Mr. Nice Guy and yeah. gets, gets what he wants. So the answer to the, the question is why weren't they involved is because the player characters. Right. The player characters kept yes. the... They kept the lid on the pressure cooker. Exactly. But if they ever step away and go off and do other things like go to Chult or whatever, get right. dragged into Barovia, if the demons do come up, that's when Asmodeus is going to show up. And he's going, you guys. He's going to be a great All guy. He's, he's going to be a wonderful, wonderful person. He's going to come in and, you know, he's going to t- solve all your problems for you. I, I love that you're getting at the characterization of devils in that way. I mean, that is such the quintessential yeah. thing is that like, hey, I'm a nice guy. Oh, yeah. I'm going to help you. We've always described uh, with in 5th in edition, even though we haven't released much material about this yet, we often write documents that we keep in-house until such time as we have an opportunity to use them. Right. And we have extensive material on Asmodeus and his motivations. We've always described him as being the nicest, most helpful person you'll ever meet in your life. He's the guy who's your, he's the ideal mentor mm. um, who owns the big yacht, who lives the partying lifestyle, but will do anything for you. Yeah. You know, and uh, there's no pretense about his, his, his goodness or his generosity. He is generous. He is a nice guy. He is the nicest guy. Um, yeah, he rules hell, and yeah, he'll he'll take souls, but that doesn't mean he's not a nice guy. Right. He's doing it for you. He doesn't really <laughs> right. want to do it, or at yeah. least that's all he puts forth until right. like you anger yes. him or the temper breaks. Then you're like, all yes. right, well, right. all the cards are off. Exactly. Now. But yeah. initial contacts are going to be like, oh, yeah. yeah, why don't we just agree to that? I'm just going to sign this because mm-hmm. it's got a lot of good things going on yeah. in it. Right. Yeah. He'd rather see you fall to your own failings. Yeah. Than to be than to push you off a cliff. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And so um you you mentioned how there's that structure of like there's the him at the top and then the, 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 the ranks down below. Like how you want to talk a little bit about how those are defined and what that means? Um yeah, essentially that uh it's like a it's like a king and a court. Mm. Um Asmodeus is the king, um often challenged, but has never been knocked off his perch. He has uh, dukes and Dutch, archdukes and archduchesses underneath him that he appoints as stewards of the other layers of hell that he does not directly sit on. Mm-hmm. There are eight other layers. You see, uh, he's on the bottom layer? He's on the bottom layer um, called Nessus, the ninth layer of the nine hells. Mm-hmm. And he appoints vassals in the form of these archdukes and archduchesses to rule the other layers in his name. Uh, they must heed him or he will replace them as he has done on many occasions. Mm-hmm. And they have under them, these archdukes and archduchesses have dukes and duchesses and viscounts and counts and generals and, you know, commanders. And there, there's entire military structure under this nobility. Mm. And so it's feudalism. It's basically like... Yes, you know, it's like absolute the, feudalism. Yeah. And it's sort of purest, most avaricious form. Mm. And so there's constant political backstabbing, treachery, uh, devils trying to rise through the ranks by seeing their graders fall and right. embarrass themselves. Interesting. Uh, and then you've got the armies, and they're sort of the dregs of, of diabolical society who are basically consigned to serving a function in a force, and they really don't have much opportunity for ascendancy unless a 
devil sees something in them. Mm. A higher level devil sees something in them and promotes them. And then they transform. A devil will transform into a higher form if it earns a promotion. Oh, okay. And it's just an automatic, like, right. okay, because you are yes. of this rank, you so are an of this Aranese form. devil, for instance, who are these marshals um, who sort of control large forces on the battlefield, mm-hmm. they can be promoted to, I believe, the next st- stage up is ice devil. So they are physically transformed into this giant insectoid reptilian Interesting. devil right. that has more power and clout within this feudalistic society. Cool. And then, in contrast, the demons is basically flat organization, right? Where it's all the demon lords are on the same plane of... Uh, I mean, they, we kind of say Demogorgon is above. So, they... Demon lords are kind of measured in terms of their raw power. Okay. Um, they, the abyss has created... The, there's, there's little rhyme or reason to how power is distributed throughout the abyss. Some demons are created to be immensely powerful and some just minor things. These immensely powerful ones will kill other demons and whatever it takes to crawl their way to the top and other demons will serve them out of fear right. of being, having their little bones crushed. Um, but there's no greater structure and there's no singular being at the top who's calling the shots and sending demons here, sending demons there. Every demon lord's got his own shtick, his, her own flavor, her own desires, her own form of entropy. Um, yeah. And they kind of all go off and do separate things and never consult with each other. And if they encounter each other, they're probably going to fight until one of them gets killed. Yeah. Um, devils, it's much more political. Right. They, they will do that same thing, but they will do it behind your back. Yes. Yeah. You won't know when it's coming (laughs) (laughs) for the most part. Now, there are – we're sort of straying a little bit, but there are some weird birds out there. Um, The demon lord Grazit, for instance, is peculiar because he was a devil. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. He was a devil who tired of not – he felt like he wasn't being recognized by Asmodeus. Uh Uh-huh. So – um, when he was sent into the abyss to slaughter demons in Asmodeus's name and take the fight to the demons, he decided, you know, I'm much happier here. I can mm. carve out my own domain here, beat these demons into submission, and basically rule my own layers of the, the abyss. And he's basically conquered three layers that way. And so he, he is a devil who basically transformed in a way or was transformed through his exposure to the abyss into a demon lord mm-hmm. and has now nested himself there. Forsaking Asmodeus forever. And Grasset is also the, uh, he's always pictured as like a male seductor. uh, Yeah, um, he's this ebony-skinned, horned um, being with cloven hooves, six fingers on his hands. Oh, so that's where the cloven hooves comes from, is kind of the the, the devil that's left. If you you look at him, you would think devil. Uh Uh-huh. His bearing, the way he thinks, is very not demon-like. Got it. Um, but, Interesting. But he, he has survived in the abyss and probably will for the foreseeable future. Nice. All right. Well, I like all these ideas. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I feel like there's ways to infect uh, all of this into any kind of game that you're playing as far as yes. you know, there being a, 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 a cosmic battle uh, going mm-hmm. on beyond the, the realm of, of yeah. the uh, player characters. There's always something to kind of allude to just in yes. like, broad strokes. Or just this idea that you know, there are demons at the gate and Asmodeus or one of his vassals shows up and offers a way to keep them at bay. Right. But the price you have to pay may be too great for your soul. Yeah. 
some really cool ideas there. Yeah. As well, I mean, I just like the cosmic of like, oh, that's always happening in the background. Maybe right. we won't even experience it, yeah. you know, in this campaign or this story. But there's yes. that idea that like, you know, you know, Michael fighting the devils, you know, the Mark, Michael the Archangel yes. kind of, you know. You feel another like another infernal that. iconoclast um, uh, that uh, we hope to um, talk about more in the future is Zariel. She is the Archduchess of the first layer, mm-hmm. the, hell, the layer of hell that's always under siege by the demons. Right. She used to be an angel. Fallen angel story. She's a fallen angel story. Mm. So just like Grast is a sort of a, a fallen devil in a way, yeah. she is a fallen angel. It's, it's, a rare, it's, a, it's sort of a rare glimpse into how the angelic, the upper planes, yeah. view the blood war. Because the blood war is mostly playing out down in the lower planes, and it's been more or less confined there, thanks to Asmodeus's efforts. The upper planes have been more sheltered from this, and most angels are like, you know, we're happy leaving that fight down in the lower planes. Zariel is one who wasn't. Mm. Um, and then she got corrupted. Y- yes. Right. Yeah. She signed, she signed one of those, those contracts. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's, that's another topic. We should, it seems like another topic. We should jump into the upper yeah. planes because I didn't even realize how they were interconnected right. so much. Yeah. So. Another lore you should know topic coming at mm-hmm. you pretty soon in the a, in a next uh, week. Uh, so, yeah, that's tons of fun stuff. How can people uh, ask you questions? What's the best way to get in touch with you, Chris? I am on Twitter at ChrisPerkinsDND. Awesome. Uh, you can ask me any questions about lore or anything about Dungeons & Dragons at Greg Tito. Uh, and, of course, go to uh, your local game store to pick up a copy of Out of the Abyss. If you want to find out about de- uh, Demon Lords, all the ones that we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely a lot more information about them there. Yes, yes. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back with another Lori Should Know next week. That was a really good segment, you guys. Uh, I really enjoyed all of the lore and or sage advice that we learned in that, that segment. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Good talkers, those people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those guys are great. <laughs> Guy. <laughs> that was great. Great interview. So, uh, speaking of a great interview, we're going to have another one right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Woo. We are so excited to talk to uh, Hawk Robinson and John Welker from RPG Research. Uh, so, you gave the, the quick bit of what you guys do, but what does that really mean? What do you, what do you get down to? What's your day to day? Like, how, how does it. Yeah. So, we, we have. Uh, so, there's a couple of different branches, and so there's a lot to cover. Uh, RPG Research is the pure research and community services nonprofit organization. Then there's RPG Therapeutics, which is the for-profit that does professional services, educational services, uh, professional training, certification programs we're developing, uh, just prepackaged professional materials, you know, at a at a billable rate. RPG Research here, all the community stuff, and especially the research, and. Initially, it started as studying the effects of role-playing games, just in general, mm-hmm. and noticing that, like, back in 2004, 2006, there were only about 60 research studies on the effects of role-playing games. Most of them were correlative, which means it said that, well, gamers, do they commit suicide more or less than the general population? Because this was a big thing in the 80s that still continues on. And so you look at the gamers and and you find out what the suicide rate is for gamers versus non-gamers you correlate all that data and now you've you've made a correlation it doesn't prove causality it doesn't prove 
high or low, whether gaming causes more suicide, it just says gamers have a higher or lower suicide rate. Well, the research shows that gamers have anywhere from one-fifth to one-twentieth the suicide rate of non-gamers, of their oh, peer wow. group. really. So that happens much way, lower rate. way less. Oh, right. Yeah. Why? Like, yeah, correlative doesn't <laughs> tell you why. Is it's it just problem solving? Is it the um, social network social that you build, yeah. the support group? That, you know, it, uh, there's so many different theories as to why. And there are therapists now for decades, psychiatrists, psychologists, and other therapists who have been using role-playing games to treat depression, including suicidal-level depression, to help uh, have a safe environment, a safe space, if you will, to work through anger, feelings of learned helplessness, meaninglessness, all these different issues, and use role-playing game as an outlet and a safe means. Uh, play therapy, which is separate from recreation therapy, and I'm, I'm a Washington State registered recreational therapist, John's registered as well. Um, I'm not registered. Yeah. <laughs> well, not on that list. Play therapy <laughs> is for pre-verbal communicators, so usually up to about 9, 10, 11 years old. They observe a kid in play. They try to not interfere as much as possible and take notes as they play in a playroom, and there's very specific stuff put in the playroom. And they observe, and because children... Because they can't verbalize what they feel, express it through their play. Wow. And so, so that's like that scene from therapy. Ghostbusters too, where Egon is doing that thing on the play thing, like, well, how is this all working? And they're observing what's happening. Yes. It's less about yes. actually. Yes, you know, yes, right. yes. I think he so, was trying to prove whether or not the temperature in the room would rise. Right. If people <laughs> yes, got angry. yes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So basically you're trying to like so you took all of the, the, the stereotypes about negativity about gaming and were like, Well, what is yeah. it? actually going to do, and, and that's where you started. clear, I didn't do all that research. I've, I've found a lot of the research right. already done. But do you think a lot of those studies happened in the 80s and a afterwards? A lot of them were late 80s, 90s onwards. But up to about 2004, 2006, there were only 60 studies done. Yeah. Not that many. Is that but low for this type of thing? That is very low for any particular area of study. Why Usually think, there's hundreds and hundreds of studies. Why do you think that is? Because, it, because funding of was the low? Incul- no, the inculcated attitude that gaming is a bad thing right. from the 80s. And so, so people were just people like, just I'm just going to accept that. I'm not going to try And what you're saying is that it's not even not true. It's demonstrably the opposite. The opposite. Exactly. So a uh, study about meaninglessness. So again, we're correlative versus causality. We still haven't proven that gaming caused this, but we're at least disproving the stereotypes about gamers, right. which is important. Um, because there are a lot of negative stereotypes. Um, and we have a list on the website of all the stereotypes, and it's rpgresearch.com, and, <laughs> uh, of all the different stereotypes and what the facts say about the stereotypes. Yeah. So another one is a lot of people say, well, gamers don't have any purpose in life. They don't know, you know they're living in their mother's basement, whatever. They don't have any purpose. So study was done, research on uh, college students, which are the most over-researched group. Because <laughs> they have to do it. It's part the, of the well, curriculum. The easiest one, yeah. You, you get credit and everything. <laughs> so it's yeah. easy to get them. Um, but they did a peer group of college students and their levels of meaninglessness. So how much – and there's, and it's their own questionnaire and it's a study that was accepted back in the 50s and 60s, whatever. Of what meaninglessness Of what meaninglessness that means. It, I, that's crazy <laughs> that there's a, 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 yes. you know, a, a, and, a standard definition of meaninglessness. Right. And, and you can always debate about which studies will use better tools and we won't get into those. This isn't the right audience for that. But – uh, oh, let's go there. But the numbers <laughs> said 47% of the college students had high, scored high on meaninglessness. Ga- only 17% of gamers did. That's a statistically significant wow. variance in population Gamers difference. have more meaning in their lives. They had, yeah, there's, they have more meaning. They find more purpose, whether it's because of, so again, we could theorize left and right. So, again, doesn't prove causality, but it discounts the stereotypes. Uh, criminality. 
the criminal records when these studies were done in the early 90s. Uh, the both self-reported and otherwise reported, and there's multiple studies on this, because they'd say, well, role-playing game will make you more violent and commit more crimes. Well, let's see if that's true. Correlative data says no. For some reason, role-playing gamers seem to have a much lower criminal rate than their same-age peers. Hmm. The fewer incidents involving law, the less violence, different types of crimes, theft, all those different types, just lower levels. Huh. Why? Well, we could theorize, but that, again, shoots down the stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, violence, the same thing uh, with, with violent behavior. Uh, the personality types of gamers actually generally, and we're talking mostly tabletop here for most of this research. There's a little bit on live action. There's been a big boom in computer-based. Computer-based is nuanced in other ways, and I can talk about that, but we're going to focus on tabletop because we're here. Yeah, right. Makes sense. Uh, on the website, there's two sections. You can go to our community button or our research button. If you go to the research button, we have more than a 1,000 different content items that you can wade through by oh. topic to drill down to the topics, or there's a search button uh, box in the top right-hand corner. Use the search button. A little, yeah, yeah, use the search <laughs> button. A light reading. This is a bit divergent, but now I want to uh, uh, play in a game in which you're dungeon mastering because you're able to paint the picture of the website. I know what the website looks like yes. now from yes. your hand motions yes. as to be like, oh, this box here, you press yes. that button, yes. you go to the right. Well, my computer science background helps with UI <laughs> design as well. So. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. So... Um, same thing with violent behavior. They tend to have less violent uh, personality types. So there's uh, – this is important for all types, whether it's video games, uh, live action, or computer-based, a more recent study. And again, there's debate. You have to retest and reprove. So please, scientists out there, don't lambast me because I list one example. We only have so much time. If you right. want to see my presentations, I've got them online, and I go into a lot more detail for the more scientifically minded. But I'm giving examples uh, yep. shorthand. Um, so they have about trait hostility, which means that they score high for being easily activated to being aggressive and argumentative. Right. Um, what they found is, and this was a video game study, but you could apply it to any setting, that those who scored high on trait hostility, gamer or not, didn't matter, who then played a violent video game, then were more likely to, in later testing, show an effect from the video game of being more aggressive and hostile shortly after the video game and a few hours after. Right. However, those who scored low in that hostility trait did not show a significant effect after the video game. So this is a nuanced important thing when they say video games cause violent behavior or role-playing games because you're fighting cause violent behavior. It depends. Right. If you are it, already inclined to... If you're already amped up, you're more type A, if we want to use really <laughs> outdated terminology, but let's say you're a type A aggressive personality, yeah. you're more likely to get more amped up from it. And that will show up, but you're already kind of that way. Exactly. Versus a type B is going to like, yeah, I had a fun, I killed the orcs, but I'm not going to be more aggressive out here. Interesting. So Interesting. these are important distinctions, which are important to go. It's, it's rarely yes and no. Right. Well, right. With any kind of research like but this, everybody, it's very hard to... But everybody's like, it is this way. Yeah. Role-playing gaming makes you this way. And it was. It was, I mean, in, in the 80s, 90s, and even now, it's there still, are people who will, who will default to that... Pat uh, Robertson is still out there in the 700 Club just this year, last year, I again. I saw that video. Again. Yeah. Every two years. It seemed like you didn't even know what it was, though. Like, that's he, the other thing. It's well, like they don't well. understand it, and so they think <laughs> right. it's something yeah. to fear because they it, don't and understand that's why. it. it and, it, and that's what we're trying to do is fill it with information. Right. So this is, uh, the, the last one is the occult, whether role-playing gaming can lead you away from insert your religion. And what they found was that, that so they specifically were looking at uh, satanic, because of the satanic panic, moral panic in the 1980s. Yeah. Yeah. So they uh, did personality tests and interviews of a bunch of people who were open and avowed worshippers of Church of Satan, what have you. 
and role-playing gamers, and and tried to find tried to find they tried really hard to find a correlation. They were probably bankrolled by all the no groups that were against it. Yeah. No link in personality type between a role-playing gamer. The only few role-playing gamers they found that were were devil worshippers were devil worshippers first, who then came to gaming later. Right. They they were not able to find an. That's association been my experience in the, the devil worshipping community myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been that. usually because you know they're into the the, the blood war. They are all about well, fighting back and forth between yeah. demons and the devils. <laughs> so that's all correlation. That disproves all the stereotypes about gamers. It doesn't prove causality of the game. That you have to do more controlled research. And you have to have control groups and independent dependent variables that you're manipulating, uh, you know, surveys, all these different approaches. And so we've been doing that since 2004 on the therapeutic side. Educationally, much longer. I started, as I said, like 1983. Oh, wow. Okay. When you were a child. Yeah, I was 13. That's worth noting. Yeah. yeah. Right. At a school for giving help children. So, so uh, that's <laughs> why there was Which would that be a audience. great setting for it was, something. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it does sound cool. cool. Great school. Uh, so I feel like I want to talk to you, John, a little bit Please. more about what, uh, uh, like how you got started, not necessarily with, with, with uh, working with Hawk, but, you know, uh, playing D&D. When did you... When did you start? What was your origin story? 1977, 10 years old, and my grandmother came from some store, and she had the light box set and said, I think you'll like this. That's I awesome. love her. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, apparently I did. <laughs> you latched onto it immediately. Was yeah. it your birthday, or she was just saw it and was like, oh, this looks like something little Johnny would it like? It was just a random day. It wasn't even my birthday. It was like in the middle of the summer. So. Even better. And... Um, I've been playing as a dungeon master mostly since then. Um, I almost exclusively dungeon master, just once in a while play. Um, and since then, I've been in the RPGA, uh, did Living Greyhawk. I was a Wizard of the Coast delegate, a D&D open judge for Gen Con for a, cu- a couple years. Um, I was local area coordinator for um, D&D Adventures League in the Spokane area. Nice. Um, what it, what it is about uh, Dungeon Master? Was it just because you were the one who got the books, and so you you jumped into that role, or do you think that you uh, uh, that that is more for your personality? Uh, I think it's more on the personality. Um, I find that when I give up the control of the game to the DM, and even though I'm a good player, uh, and I can f- and I can outthink a lot of things. Thank you for I've, putting that in quotes, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good player. He's fun. He's fun to play with. Okay, good. I prefer to have the entire story and tell the story. Um, that's, that's my gaming style anyways, is it's all about the story. and I want That's to why you're playing this in Heroes of the Mist. Yeah. Because it's the Bard. Yeah. So we've got a show coming up in March, oh, nice. uh, Heroes of the Mist, and he's decided to play a high elf bard in that. So that's probably why. Cause you so are you, uh, you going to be the uh, uh, instigator uh, pushing the story forward? Because that's what I, I, when me as a player, because I like, I think I'm similar to you in that I, I prefer DMing for for getting uh, it going, and you're always thinking, you're always adapting to what other people are doing. So if I'm not the dungeon master, I I gravitate towards just being that type of player. That's like, all right, yeah, no, let's go to the next thing, let's go to the next thing, let's mix it up, let's do something silly uh, in order to 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 react to what's going on in the dungeon master's head. I, I might not be the instigator, but I'll probably be the one who makes it bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Make the gate bigger. Yeah. It needs a little more explosives there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, so how did you get involved uh, uh, with RPG research? I was, well, as far as my role-playing game, I was introduced by a cousin when I was about eight or nine, uh, so late 70s as well. And so that's how I got into gaming. 
Uh, in 83, I wrote an eight-page essay on uh, role-playing games, the myths and reality. And then... Uh, Do you still have it? I wish I did. Oh, I, I, I so wish I did. I had it's to read it in front of the entire school. Why did you... Was that like a... Because it was... was that an award or a punishment? No, no, no. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a reward. I, I, I love theater and everything else, so I had no did problem... Did you perform the paper? Where you're I like, did not perform the oh. paper, no. It was too dry for that. Oh, okay. but, but it was... We had to do a paper on current events, and this is right at the beginning of the anti-gaming movement. It's 83, you said? 83, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, what research was available, I put into there... And, and talked about it. And that helped tone down some of it that was going on at the school. Didn't help for the neighborhoods and the libraries that were starting the bands and all of that. They didn't ask you to come in and read your paper at every single yeah. venue in town? <laughs> I, I tried. But yeah. <laughs> You're like, this also started my stand-up career. <laughs> then in That's 85. The yeah, well, then in 85, <laughs> um, we lost our drama teacher. got a chance to go to Broadway or something. So I, a plug for the school. It's called Realms of Inquiry. It's in Utah. It's this wonderful it's school. What? Realms of Inquiry. It's oh a private, God, private non-denominational school. It's a wizardry school. school. Yeah, know, right? So it was Hogwarts. It, it kind yeah. of is. We would go on survival trips in the desert in southern Utah. Did you have they, a wand? Yeah. <laughs> no, of a Swiss Army knife. All right, that's, that's close, close that's enough. That's close. Right. So you could wiggle one if you wanted. Gond yeah. made that one. <laughs> and we would do like we do like 10 days in the desert. The last three days were solo survival. What? Things like that. It was awesome. It was all about building confidence. First part is working together as groups. We're repelling off of 500-foot cliffs. I would survive. Awesome <laughs> school. Awesome school. And it's still running. And it's a non-denominational private school. You made so, your survival checks. Yes. Do you think, is there, are Real you world adventures. doing research also that shows that gifted children are drawn to role-playing games as well? Well, it's, you know, that's just going to depend. So at this school, um, as if we lost our drama teacher, they gave the option for study hall. I talked the headmaster into letting me teach role-playing gaming um, as a class He's five like, days a week. I'm short a teacher. And he You're let fine. me fill it in for a couple of months until he had a new drama teacher. And slowly everybody left study hall and joined Hawk's role-playing game class in the biology lab. And we were teaching AD&D first edition, Middle Earth role-playing, Call of Cthulhu, all of that. Murps. I do a short five-minute lecture. Yeah, Middle Earth role-playing. I did yeah. some Murps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm uh, what you know, you call Tolkien Society founder for, for from the UK here in Spokane. And so, I, yeah, Tolkien, Tolkien. Many hats. <laughs> Um, but it didn't make everybody a gamer. It did stop all of the teasing and anti-gaming stuff 100%. Oh, that's wow. good. After they went through the class, they went, oh, that's what gaming is. Right. Oh, okay. That's not the, it's not any of these things. It's a game. We're yeah. having a good time. Maybe there's some benefits to it. Not everyone became a gamer, but none of them had the stigma about it anymore. And a few did become lifelong gamers. Most of them did not, as far as I know. Right. Um, but that's what, with everything. You would try as a kid. You yep, try exactly. soccer. You try basketball. Exactly. You try theater. You try dance. You but like, none try of gaming. them had the stigma anymore. And that and that's again that it, it, getting that's rid important. of the ignorance, getting rid of the fear. Yeah. Right. So fast forward to 2004, uh, 2003. I retired as a computer scientist. I was CTO. Did the SiliconValley.com thing, all that. And I was focusing on raising my three boys. Uh, later, single parent. And uh, but I was looking ahead. Well, when my boys are grown, what will I do in the next phase of my life? Mm-hmm. And one of my businesses, I kept getting kids with ADHD, parents coming to me. I had computer training schools. And they're like, help, help. He's failing computer class. He's failing typing class. Can you help me? And I'm like, I'm not a child psychologist, but I'll see what I can do. And I used games, video games, to help them do their typing or whatever. And then I created a reward oh. system where if your grades got better, I'd give you a piece to build this computer in my lab. Ooh, cool. And, you know, it's a token economy thing. And I didn't know the terminology then. But So then I fell into recreation music therapy Neuroscience and research psychology, and I've been doing that since '04. What was it about? So we're just working with kids on that kind yeah. of level. I've always, I've always been a teacher. I've, I, you know, play over twenty instruments. I've taught 
guitar. Some people went on little tours, etc. I've always loved teaching. I taught automotive, photography, wow. whole slew. And um, so always were... loved that teaching aspect. And I, I think gaming has a lot to do with what happened for me becoming chief technology officer and everything. Oh, really? Being at the boardroom versus being at the, the game table. I was DM most of the time. I, I didn't really want to be, but everybody kept pushing me to be it. Yeah. Right. And... You start learning to tell tale, the, the tells of people who are lying or bluffing or afraid or whatever. All those things you learn in the game because you know in the game what the reality is. Yeah. And you start learning to read everybody's subtle signals. Well, when you're there in a boardroom with Microsoft and Amazon and, and all of them, and there's a lot of BSing going on and you a lot of testing, room. you right. read the room really well. And it really, every time I was at the meetings, I was like, this is just like being at another huh. gaming I, session. I feel like that's like a self-help book that you're going to write. Like, yeah. DM <laughs> your life. Like, be the dungeon master in the boardroom. Yeah. I like that. Um, so then I really started to – so that was with the ADHD thing. So I went and focused on recreation music therapy. And specifically, all so, the textbooks said there's, we need more cooperative activities. And I was like, well, role-playing gaming. No recreation therapist had ever used role-playing gaming. Wow. I still haven't found any before I trained them right. since 2004 that have you ever considered using any form of role-playing gaming. So, yeah. So, talk a little bit about because I'm, uh, people might not know what music therapy is and things like that. Okay. So, like, what, yeah, what, what Rec- exactly does that mean? Yeah, for, so recreation therapy is taking a recreational activity and – okay, there's therapeutic recreation. There's recreational therapy. I won't get into that. But <laughs> taking a recreational activity. So, whether it's, uh, uh, let's say, basketball and wheelchair basketball. That's an adaptive version. Uh, or using, um, with brain injury, using UNO cards to help them as they're recovering from a brain injury to, with numbers and colors and sequencing and follow and just picking things up because they might have mechanical uh, damage, you know, organic damage. Using a simple game like that, but using it to achieve therapeutic measurable goals. So you work with physical therapist. Physical therapy is painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As soon as you're discharged, most people do not continue their physical therapy exercises and will often come back later because they deteriorate because of the pain and are back in and they go in and out and create this downward spiral. Recreation therapist tries to find what their intrinsic motivation is, their interior motivation to do things, what's fun for them, yeah. and then apply that to what they need to achieve to get better, whether it's a physical goal, a cognitive goal, an emotional, you know, c- control, you know, have controlling your emotions and your outbursts, what have you, but doing it in the context of a recreational activity, whether it's a board game, whether it's a basketball game, whatever, and tweaking it in some way to meet those needs and adapting if they've lost a limb or something teaching them how they can still do the activity. We, one of our drum circles, we had somebody show up who was in a wheelchair who had no feeling in her hands and from her hips down. She had quit drumming because of it, but she heard we did adaptive drumming, and she found out she can still play the djembe because even though her hands are floppy, basically, yeah. she can still play it And right. we, as we showed her the hand strokes and such. And she was so happy that she's able to bring that music back into her life. And so music therapy and recreation therapy are very close together. They're yeah. separate certifications, but they actually, if you look at the training books and everything, they're like verbatim. <laughs> and they both evolved from World War One and World War Two around the same time period as oh, veterans from World War World War I and World what War II. What was called shell shock exactly. at the time, and now exactly. it was into PTSD. They had the same origin that. stories and everything, too. That's so interesting. they're a natural combination. So you adapted some of those techniques that were there for, for, for music as well as the Well, recreational basketball. therapy. Yeah, right. And oh, things, yeah, yeah, right. And then basketball and things like that. And then you use those uh, with the RPG right. as the intrinsic benefits. Like, oh, it's a fun game, but it also has specific goals. Yeah, so right. it, we use it as called an intervention modality. 
So the, the, the activity that's being used is the intervention modality. Medication could be your intervention modality. Hypnosis could be your intervention modality. Role-playing game is the intervention modality. And so the doctor comes to us and says, this person needs to develop, you know, they've had a brain injury, so I've done a lot with brain injury as well, to autism and such. And we want to help them get their speech back. And we want to, you know, we know they can comprehend what we're saying. And we want to, we want to encourage them to keep trying to fight through whatever aphasia and such they're having. And they'll work with a speech therapist and such. But using games makes it fun. And they stop thinking about how hard the work is. Mm -hmm. And if we can get them in a flow state, which is um, in, in sports terminology, uh, being in the, zone. in the zone. Yeah, being in the zone. So like um, you're on fire. You're, you're just yeah. you Boom, complete loss. <laughs> so you've, you've played a game where it's going really well. You look up, three hours have gone by, and you had no idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, Zombie Orpheus Entertainment does a great example in the Gamers 2 Darkness Rising where they, they have a new player and such, and it's they look up, it's 2 a.m.? Yeah. I had no idea, right? Excellent example of being in flow state. And um, me, so that's by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. This whole flow state thing is an optimal state of being and optimal op potential for learning and healing. Oh. So when you're role-playing gaming and you experience that flow state experience, you're in a really ideal state. If you want to talk about Maslow's hierarchy needs and getting you know, from just survival up to you know, full enlightenment, if you will, um, getting in that flow opportunity is getting you closer to those opportunities where you really can start having the bigger thoughts and, and, and concepts. There's also a big difference between... Um, you know, with the TBI, trying to do the speech, um, traditional therapy is say these words, keep doing this, and it's work and it's, it's frustrating, you don't want to do it. When you're doing a role-playing game and you're doing recreational therapy, you don't notice that you're working on this. Right. You're just fun. sitting there enjoying yourself and getting a benefit despite yourself. And when you're discharged, you're much more likely to keep doing the activity rather than quitting as soon as you're discharged from rehab. Yeah, you were talking about physical therapy and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I gotta make sure I do my exercises. Yeah, well, and we do live action role plays for those who need more physical activities. We do computer-based. Um, so we've got a whole TBI program. We've got a presentation on that you can check on the website on YouTube and such mm. that walks you through using, starts with uh, Choose Your Own Adventure being read. So what they respond with just a hand squeeze or an eye blink because they're just coming out of coma and just at that level of interaction. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, We're talking that, Rancho Los Amigos stage two. You've just come out of coma. You, you verified you have, you're oriented to three times. So you know who you are, where you are, you know, roughly. Person, place, But you time. can't talk yet because you're probably intubated, et cetera. But somebody will read to you, choose your own adventure to help you start. So with neuroplasticity, you want to light up the brain as much as possible. They have to rest a lot too. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they'd say, leave them alone, be quiet, mm -hmm. don't disturb them, don't agitate them. Worst thing you can do for brain injury recovery. Interesting. You need to get things going so your brain will reboot and rewire, and if it's organic damage, start having other parts of the brain compensate. Talking Same about music with any therapy. any kind of like exercise. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, there's a yeah. Physical therapy, like you were talking yeah. about. You don't just say, oh, it'll get better with right. bed rest. you got to push. Yeah. Right. Music therapy. So there's organizations that have great success where people have lost the ability to speak. That area is organically damaged. They will never speak again. But they can still sing. What? And they teach, and so through singing, they start very singing, and then it's oh less gosh. sing songy, and then they're talking, and, but it's using the singing part of the brain. Wow. So, multiple things. So, this is like all part of neuroplasticity. Of stuff, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's awesome stuff. <laughs> it's, magic. So, um, it's magic, right? So, they were healed, <laughs> they healed, you know, 10, 10 hit points of damage right. in their brain. <laughs> yeah, neural, neural hearing, exactly. Um, so, uh, so the point is, though, that by making it as a recreational activity, 
and helping them plan. We, we do transition and exit plans so that they have a way to continue their lives adapted to whatever new changes. They may, some of these things may never go away. Mm-hmm. And that can be a lot of depression and such. But now they have a new peer group, a new gaming group. Same thing with drug rehab and gang culture. We've, we've had inpatient people. Oh, wow. We've worked with like novice mental health uh, rec therapists and such helping them. Great success where you teach them role-playing gaming, then you find a gaming group in the neighborhood that they're going to be living in and transition them to going to that weekly gaming group. Now, instead of going home and all they have is either their gang culture or their drug culture to go back to, nothing else to do. And their kids, they got to do something when they're not in school, right? Yeah. Well, they're going to go back to their friends. Well, now they've got a new group of friends that you know may not promote those same behaviors. That's and so really far, it's really I good feel success like that, with that. That also clues into something you were talking about, the meaninglessness, where like, yes. you know, that, that here is, even though it's, it's, it's a fantasy world and it's not real, it provides meaning. It's it and beyond, uh, you know, whatever your accomplishments are uh, in in character. But like that, all the face to face, the relationships that you're building with your dungeon masters, with the other yeah. people in the group, that is meaningful. Those skills. So so then the challenge is okay. Let's say I. I work with a group, they develop, so we've worked with social phobias with people who are complete introverts, won't leave their apartment. Mm. Everything's delivered, their family brings everything to, they are terrified to go outside, complete social phobia. I've had multiple instances where I start them out with an online video game where it's a safe environment, whether it's one of the ones, you were talking about Neverwinter Nights and the Aurora kit. Yeah. I use that to create custom modules. Oh, that's smart. So that they can have a safe social environment. So, so we start them kind of computer-based remote, then slowly get them come down to the offices where they know it's a safe environment with, with people we know will be safe to play with. First, they might just watch. And then incrementally, this is a pretty standard phobia exposure therapy technique, right. um, have them start playing. Then we take them to a game store and have them watch a pickup game. And then we, you know, with a GM, we you know it's Go to safe. my store. I've sent them to him. <laughs> I've sent them to him. <laughs> nice. um, even before I knew him, I was sending, I'd heard about him and was sending, I was observing, I was watching you at one point before we even met. And so sent people, and then eventually they joined the game. And the message is, at first, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And you're changing it to, I didn't die. I'm Okay. I'm safe. And eventually now, uh, but then you got to generalize it. Okay, so one guy did generalize where he's going to the grocery store and everything else and do great. Another fellow, he's running games. He uses the bus, runs two games a week, but he hasn't generalized as much. He still struggles with going to the grocery store. And so he's got this kind of bubble, but his bubble has gone from this to this. I think that's a huge win. And for the other guy, it was a complete win. So, you know, you have variants. And you saw something that happened in your store? Well, he was um, sending people to my store. He wasn't actually telling me he was doing it. <laughs> and there were people would be watching from, you know, we have confidentiality things. So he would have people watching the games from a thing and then noticing that nobody was getting hurt. Everything was being safe and everybody was taken care Treated of. Treated nicely, et cetera. But yeah. even just getting to the store, I imagine it's the, huge. We worked up to that. We all, yeah. and, and they'd have good days and bad days. I'd sometimes transport them, et cetera. Necessarily yeah. know. Yeah, but but the, this is towards getting their life back. It's all part of the process. Now the groups that motivated. that they were um, joining, does anyone in the group know that this is a person that's overcoming some challenges? No. So uh, the, not not gamers, at the stores and such. Not unless they self-identify. Yeah. It, now in my offices and such, sometimes we have a group of volunteers who are trained, yeah. and we use them as a safe environment, as a stepping stone. Right. But in the public stores, no, 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 no. We don't. We don't want to. We don't want to isolate them that way. We don't want them but to that's have the stigma. Another good yeah. stereotype about gamers yeah. is that they are an inclusive It's an incredibly... Like they're just like, oh, my oh you want to play? And Sit researchers... Down. Because most people just want more people to play with. Yeah. They want more people so, to play yeah. Dungeons and Dragons with. And here's the thing. You researchers who want to find a different population group... You research out there. Role-playing gamers like paperwork. What do they <laughs> do all day long to play the game? They fill out forms. Yeah. <laughs> 
I have never seen a group more like, so I go to conventions, I have a study on the, uh, this is a little more negative side here, this is less positive, uh, experiences of gender bias in the gaming industry and community. Right. I've been doing this since 2003, um, and phase two now through Washington State University, I have an IRB waiver and such, been doing it at Spocon, at Worldcon, at gaming events, etc., and getting some really good feedback. With IRB waivers are necessary so we can be Institutional published. review board, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You was, saw me wanting to be like, what's IRB? Yeah, yeah he's here to keep me... <laughs> <laughs> intelligible here. And um, so, and about a quarter of them have given qualitative response. So, so it's a questionnaire that's quantitative numbers. I can give you hard numbers of the period people who experience what in which. And it includes war games, collectible card games, video games, online, offline, conventions, tabletop board games, live action, all of that. Each of these have you experienced it on different degrees. And so I have charged for that. So that's quantitative numbers. The qualitative is they explain why they gave those numbers, and about a quarter of them optionally flip over the page, filled in their story, ah. explaining why they gave the answers, which is really great data. Yeah. It's hard data, but it's great data. Yeah. The, the good news is tabletop role-playing gaming has much lower numbers of it than video gaming and collectible card games. Video gaming and collectible card games, very high levels of gender bias, exclusion, being treated terribly the artwork, all these different things, the right. long list of, of grievances for collectible card games and uh, video games. Mm-hmm. Role-playing games much, much, much lower, and generally the numbers are higher in public settings. So pickup games at game stores and at conventions, right. they've had more negative experiences. Literally, these, started, these are people who said they've been women who've been banned from games and such because of their gender. Oh, um, you know, this is according to the, you know, this is right. from Well, is that because you're face to like, you can't, if I'm playing a video game, I could lie and say I'm. Yeah, you could do anything you want. But, but everybody's ruder in the video games and everything. So yeah. they get a lot more experience of, of that just being a really negative environment. Um, live action is even lower than tabletop. Partly, you know, smaller community, but it does say, have you done this or not done this? And then you can separate those numbers. Yeah. Wargaming doesn't have any because, according, at least from our multiple research studies, there's almost no female role <laughs> wargamers. So that data is kind of moot. And it also separates between the community and the industry as well. So there's some interesting tidbits that there. That is interesting. So that's and you said you started in, in 2003 with that kind of research. 13. Oh, with that one, I started okay, 2004 for the therapeutic stuff. Have you seen a change? I'm, I'm just curious. From so this 2013 started before. To this was a year. I started this before the whole um, Gamergate. Gamergate. I just I just happened to have started it before it, and what I what happened was in my later revisions, uh, I didn't have any trouble approaching gamers to get uh, random. Uh, uh, you know, it just went to everybody and random pick. I started to get after Gamergate people going, "Is this some Gamergate thing?" Mm. Right, then just refused to fill out the form because as soon as they saw what the topic was. So that's the only major change I saw there. As far as the experiences, I've seen more awareness and more people talking about it than they did before. But I haven't seen a significant change in numbers. But, it, but you know, I have, I'm still crunching the numbers here. So, interesting, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a thing that has, uh, you know, uh, impacted a lot of mm-hmm. of what's happening in the world. And I think things change and shift, and I'm I'm still confident it's changing for the better. But it's a slow change, and I think the data will help us uh, uh, as soon as you're able to figure out like where uh, things you know yeah. should be changed more yeah. from from our well, level. It's and another like that. tidbit. It's another piece in the puzzle to get yeah. the big. But picture. again, it's like, it's data that we didn't have because yes. people weren't spending time yes. uh, doing this. So it's, it's stuff that was also stereotypical of like, yes. oh, those are just stereotypes and they exist right. and they're, and and they're oh, held. We'll just let it Girls be. don't no, play games. It. Yeah, well, we yeah, know that's not true. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Right. Um, and the um, community programs are also part of the research. So what we observe, we document. So 
A, with permission, we record almost all our game sessions. Mm -hmm. So I have... 13 years of gaming sessions oh recorded. Oh, my gosh. From, like, one point I was running 12 groups. He's got his own servers, so that's how he yeah. gets all the space. Yeah, my computer background ties it. So I, I was running, like, a dozen different groups with all these different experiments. We have a whole section on the website on optimizing the gaming experience to make it the most fun to experience immersion and flow state. And what can you do? Room temperature, lighting, ambient noise, position oh. sitting, all of this. Whether if you're deaf, I work with the deaf community a lot. How do you arrange the table more in a circular thing rather than uh -huh. an elongated table? Yeah. Working with the, uh, you know, vision impaired and right. providing uh, needs for that. Braille dice. or So yeah. all these different things. What's the optimal gaming experience, therapeutic or not? Just how can you have the most fun? And we've got this just long, long that page of that data as well. Yeah. Yeah. Separate book eventually. yeah, that'll be its own. <laughs> Do you know sign language too? I, yeah, I, I know uh, yeah, a, a, a little uh, ASL. How I, do you say, you crit? Uh, well, <laughs> natural 20. <laughs> I guess if you kill or they die, oh. I don't know sign for fumble. Um, I mean, you'd just be, you know, it'd just be, uh, uh, well, yay. <laughs> this is yay, yay. for yeah. sign language. Uh, my girlfriend and I run a weekly sign language group, ASL group in okay. Spokane. That's and we're amazing. doing that all for years. Yet another thing. Yet another thing <laughs> that you're doing. Well, it, all, it all comes I together. I we actually got you here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. The, the two of you, how busy you are. Well, and so if I may. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, um. I was presenting down at the Pacific Northwest American Therapeutic Recreation Association a couple, uh, two years ago in Portland. And Professor Dottillo of Penn State is in charge of the recreation program there. And he's My asked dad me. Went to Penn State. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nanny Lyons. All right. Well, uh, J Professor John Dottillo, really nice guy. He saw me present, and then I actually saw him present first, and I rapidly added some of his stuff into my presentation because he does a thing, he has a whole piece on exploration as the foundation of learning. When we're babies and we're born, we explore the world and learn from that. Yeah. Um, we, we, we talk in our certification courses about that, the adding right. of things with Heidegger and all that. But, um, and, well, what do we do when we're role-playing gaming? We're exploring a whole other world. It's a whole other learning. So in educational, any kind of learning, whether it's therapeutic learning or just learning history, um, we learn through that interaction. And even if it's imagination, our brains don't 100% know the difference. We do. We, we know the difference between fantasy and reality. But the learning benefits of imagining it... Cognitive neuroscience, if you add elaboration and distinctiveness and detail to the information you're trying to learn, the better it will stick in long-term memory and the long easier it will be to recall later because you'll have those memory cues. So if I describe a, a door, that's not going to stick in your memory. Right. But, a but if I say, door with a crack in it. Right. I with, say an oak and wooden door with bands of iron through it, and you can smell a musty smell, and you can hear the sounds of drips of water, and I start adding more. I try to use all the different senses, uh, as we, I encourage all of them to do that, because not everybody can visualize. There's, there's a disorder, and it's a good percentage of the population. They can't actually visualize through visual imagining, but they can do it through other senses. They remember so what we the smells that. were, what the sounds yeah. were. And a narrative and such. That's really fascinating. So we take all that into account. But anyway, I wonder if my wife is in that uh, thing because that's one thing that she she always remarks about. It's like I don't. She's like I don't understand how you can take what they're saying and translate it into right. your head. Not I can't imagine. Can it. Visualize it. Some yeah. people just don't have that ability. But she you start having with spatial awareness and well, playing a, a, a World of Warcraft or something like that. Yeah, she was always like I don't thing. understand where I am or what things are going. Right. So there, I always thought that was related, but. Maybe it's not. Maybe it, it's it could be. It could be the um, aphantasia is the term. Current version of that term. Aphantasia. 
aphantasia. Yeah, it's the ability to imagine Aaron, something. Your aphantasia is aphantasia. <laughs> <laughs> aphantasia is contagious. No, again, so all of these are debated topics. So those of you who know, these are debated <laughs> topics. I, I'm not saying any of these are set in stone, but these are it's interesting, interesting to dialogue. think about and find. You know, so the he has asked. Yeah, he has asked me to write in the next edition of Facilitation Techniques Therapeutic Recreation. Um, there's only two versions of this book, and every recreation therapist has to take one of the two books. Nice. Depending on which one the See, professor's teaching. That's the third edition? This is the, so the fourth edition, hopefully. Uh, I, I am say, writing. I'm holding out for the 3.5 right. edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the fifth, fifth edition, edition, right? <laughs> All right. I'll just go jump the fifth. Um, the, but the next edition, I, he's asked me to write an entire 30-page chapter on role-playing game therapy and role-playing games so that every recreation therapist who has to take this book now will have role-playing gaming as part Fantastic. of their curriculum so for their certification. How, There's 15,000, 30,000 recreation therapists in the country, 15,000 are certified. How do you train that? So I, your organization is volunteer RPG Research is 100% nonprofit volunteers, about nine core volunteers and dozens of other peripheral through the Muscular Dystrophy Association, Spark Central, and others that we work with. So are they gamers? And then you, or are you actually it's teaching a therapists how to DM? It's a mixture. Uh, they come to us from all works of life. But so you are training these. Danielle that, you are also a doing recreational the therapist first right. and then learning. D- yeah, so one of our volunteers, yeah, Danielle, she, she's going through the recreation therapy program at Eastern Washington University. Um, she is a board gamer and card gamer and video gamer. She never did role-playing gaming before. Her okay. boyfriend did, but she never did. She was GMing this summer at uh, our... So first we went on a retreat with the trailer, the wheelchair-friendly RPG trailer, which we haven't covered. But, oh, yeah. Um, we yeah, have pictures. Yeah. Of yeah. Um, we got pictures. Yeah. Uh, so we went on a retreat and did an overall retreat, and she had to GM for four hours for the first time, and she played... She ran uh, Lost Caves of Fendelver. Yeah. Oh. And it was ended in TPK. <laughs> <laughs> she well, killed them all. She killed them all. And uh, but her first two hours, she was very nervous. And we had to keep coaching her, but it was a safe environment. We're all there to help her. Yeah. And after the first two hours, she was flowing. The roles were happening. Everybody was getting into it. And yeah, okay. She had some lucky roles. They had some bad ones. They died. No big deal. Right. Nobody here was hurt by it because yeah. we're there to help her learn. Exactly. Yeah. It's part of the. You got to learn how to do that too. Now exactly. she's been jamming at the cons when we've been at Spokon and and uh, uh, Fan Nexus and others. She's there out of the back of the trailer running groups and and she she's running two different games now: Fandelver and the Lost Eves of Mirkwood for Adventures in Middle Earth. Right. Oh, cool. Um, and just working her way up. And then at Spark Central now she's also running No Thank You. Either. Oh, uh, yeah. So her, re- her re- five years old and up, yeah. and she's been with us about nine months, and she's already at that level. Sweet. Um, we have others who have been gaming for X number of years and are coming in and are learning more of the therapeutic side. Yeah. Um, through RPGeducation.com. So, okay, RPG Research is a nonprofit. Then RPG Therapeutics is a for-profit business. This is the professional training. You get training through volunteering and everything, and we help you, but it's a slower process. you got to come to a meeting or two every week, help us with our projects, do a lot of grunt right, work. Right, but if you want to come in and get certified and make it all thing, you got that RPG arm. Therapeutics has formal training and certification. You can either pay for the classes, either in person, and I'm not cheap, <laughs> no. or you can take the online courses that I've been slowly moving over 77 classes I have online. Uh-huh. And so the first one's launched this month, and we have... Uh, PhDs, uh, psychiatrist, a nursing person. So we have somebody in, in uh, Montreal, Canada, somebody in the UK. UK guy wants to become our representative in the UK. Oh, um, it's just blowing it, up. It's awesome. It, it's all just, it's just tip of the iceberg for all that. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, and you guys were also talking about, uh, and, and this is, I'm, I just love this idea of, uh, uh, you know, autism and, and, and that. Yes. Has, I feel a lot of people are talking about it and how. D and mean, just going against the stereotype. It's helpful for 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 people on the spectrum to to do things like that. So yeah, talk a little bit about that. Number one, 
a lot of people on the spectrum naturally gravitate towards role-playing gaming. For whatever the reason, the, the, the rules, the structure, whether it's because of comic books or fantasy or fiction, because of their existing interests, they're fascinated with it to begin with. So it's actually kind of low-hanging fruit as far as the population goes. <laughs> How are they discovering it? Like if your parents they aren't stumble across it. it they they, they come, go to a hobby store to go buy a card game or something, and they see a game happening at the store. A friend tells them about it. We tell them about it, what have you. Yeah. My son's Different. case, I, yeah. I taught all His my kids how to play. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that'll do it. Yeah, son Patrick. They saw, yeah. pa- they saw this podcast and they wanted to yeah. find yeah. out about it. There are all sorts of different – people come to it all many different ways. So, so there's a lot who just gravitate to it naturally. And as long as they're functional enough that they don't get ostracized, which does happen, yeah. some groups will be very welcoming and patient and tolerant and help them build up the skills and be direct with them and, and help them get better at it. Other groups are like – wrong with him he's weird whatever and they'll just kind of push him away so and of course our groups are welcoming and inviting right. um, we have entire program plans all the way from two and a half years old as i mentioned earlier both uh, autism spectrum and neurologically normal peers the terminology keeps changing and they're partnered up through a program there so we did a live action role-playing adaptation uh, from two and a half to five year old some of them were non-verbal communicators so like hand flapping stereotype behavior no verbal communication they understand but they don't communicate verbally yeah. um, and there were four uh, three or four other recreational therapy activities set up for them to try and our goal was to keep them engaged for the full 15 to 20 minutes at our station as they rotated through stations ours was the only program that they com- all of them completed except one we had a dozen of them at the time and one of them she made it three-fourths of the way, and then she stopped at stacking these foam dice we made with animals. And the, the goal was you had to throw the, the dice and then act out the animal to overcome them. That's how you controlled and subdued the creatures, right. was whatever die rolled up with the animal, whether it was a dragon or a bird or a dog. Yeah. And they act it out, and then they control it, and then they go save the queen and the king and all this stuff. Um, all of them stuck out the full time, and then only one, the most profoundly impaired, got fixated at that last stage, but had a wonderful time anyway. Um, all the others only lasted about five minutes at each of their stations and such. So our, it really stood out That's at that crazy. young an age. Fast and this forward. Was, yeah, this was two to five Two and a half to five yeah. years old. Both non-autism spectrum and autism spectrum. The, the non-autism spectrum, that's even easier, but you still got to keep them entertained and right. have a good time. I, I mean, I'm thinking about and my two-year-olds when they're, they're were two. Up. I was like, I don't yeah. think, I mean, that was some of the reason why I didn't want yeah. to bring in D&D too early was because I want to make sure you... My kids, kind of I started, I, I, I started about four years old. Yeah. And no problem. I have three boys and, and yeah, they, not a problem. You just have to read a lot for them. Let them roll the dice. Do the reading for them. Tell them what's on there. They're happy. They, they're, they're scribbling. They don't know what's on. But you can honestly tell them, and they'll remember it because it's part of their story. They, yeah, no, it's in there. Through narrative, yeah. it's there. You can tell them their stats and if they're stronger or weaker. No Thank You Evil is a great introduction at just five years old. Yeah, we yeah. just started. We just cracked that one open. Yeah. Oh, it's a great game for that. Um, so then we fast forward through all the way from 11 to 30-something-year-old learning to use the bus system because a lot of them are 100% dependent on their caretakers. Yeah. So we have a game called Z-Day, insert city name. So Z-Day Tacoma. So you are an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which means you don't have to dress up in any costumes or anything because you're undercover. Right. We start as a tabletop role-playing game, and it's whatever system you want to use. I use just a generic one I've made. And you use the actual bus system for the area. You've been told that there's a bad guy going to try to spread a virus through the town using the public transit system, you know, and they, they need to find out more. We're not going to shut down the public transit system on a rumor. Go investigate. So they go investigate using the actual schedule and map of the actual town they're in on the tabletop. 
learning the schedule as they talk to different people on the bus and in the alleyways and at bars and what have you, unraveling these clues in a modern setting. And eventually they find out, yeah, there really is a plot, um, but we can't, we still can't just shut down the city because it'll alert it, but we know where he's going to be. And so the second to last day, we have them figure out where the actual bus stop is to their actual house in the real world. And then they take the bus and they all meet at like the, the, the main bus central station. And then follow some post-its or some people dressed up as NPCs, however you want to do it. And then here's the fun twist. And this is this, is this part I haven't been able to get to do. The timing hasn't worked out, but I dream of the day it will. Hmm. It doesn't matter if they succeed in stopping the, the bad guy. That's not the point. The point is they learn to use the bus system. Yeah. And they have a good time doing it. And then it sticks. Um, it, but the way we wanted to time it one of these days is a lot of towns do zombie walks. Yeah. yeah. And the virus is to turn everybody into zombies. And so the thing is, if they... Don't unravel the clues in time. They turn left and they look, and here's a thousand people walking down the street. Yeah. Oh, oh you failed, but oh, look at all the zombies. Isn't you that could awesome? Ease, I'm sure you could get a yeah. flashback. Or, you know, you win and you stop. Yeah, right. Bad Please guy. help out yeah. some, some kids. Oh, okay, I'll yeah, go. I'll dress up as a zombie. Totally. Right? Yeah. But it's kind of better if they, if they lose. It's kind it's of more true, fun. Right? <laughs> like, all right, by the way, <laughs> let's go over here. I've got something special for you. And then we have others about how to interface with doctor's offices, hospitals, unravel a mystery clue, and you have to go to the police department. All these things. All using role playing games, tabletop that and or live it. action. So that's autism spectrum. It's, it's teaching a lot of life skills. The social skills happen automatically in order to get their fix of the game because they love the game. They gravitate to the game very right. rapidly. Um, and as long as you have the patience and the directness, um, a lot of them really appreciate it if you do it in a kind way, spelling it out. So I will do things like he looks at you with an angry face. <clears throat> Right. right, and I give him an angry face, and he sounds angry, and he's really angry with you, and you know, for those who have have the the facial relation uh, struggles for that, um, if there's some conflict, put pauses in the game because for those who are therapeutic groups, everybody knows they're there for a therapeutic reason. Right. So some of them may be volunteers or professionals or certified, who we have what we call uh, uh, archetypes. Yeah, player archetypes, and uh, GM archetypes. And so the player archetypes will play, one of our people will play a troublesome player who's a rules lawyer or a troublesome player who's a munchkin or what have you. And they actually play that role to like train a GM how to deal with that. Or oh. flip it, you have a GM archetype who is, you know, the killer GM, etc. And that's to train. Rocks falls, our everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's our catch press. <laughs> that's what we've been doing recently. Speaking of which, we do have to get to the rocks falling and everyone Please. dying pretty soon. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, yeah, no, I know. I feel like oh. we could talk for, you know, a very long time. And uh, yes, let's real, real quick talk about the trailer. So, we, um, one of the things I keep running into is all these different locations. A lot of times the facilities were less than ideal. When I was at St. Luke's uh, in the brain injury department and such, we had a lot of trouble getting more than an hour of space. And a lot of times for a tabletop game, the sweet spot's about three hours. Yeah. That's really the sweet right. spot. Three to four up, hours, get, get ready, flow. Get people yeah. get into that state. Yeah, you can do it in 90 minutes. You can do it in 45 minutes if it's daily. There's lots of flexibility there. But three hours once a week is kind of the sweet spot. And almost impossible to get that in a lot of these facilities because they're booked for other things, all the other but, and I said, well, what if I brought a trailer that I could wheel them all in and we could do the drumming and the music in there? And they're like, great. And that was like four years ago, five years ago, I started researching that until I could find what worked. You can't use a regular trailer. It's too small. You can't use a regular RV. A, there's, most of them don't have wheelchair access. B, the electrical chairs will fall through the floor because they make them so light, you know, lightweight. You have to get a toy hauler with the ramp and everything. So eventually I bought this prototype one. It was about $40,000. Bought it out of my own pocket. 
as a prototype because to build it is going to take a lot longer and we've got a GoFundMe. Is that okay to... Sure. GoFundMe.com forward slash RPG trailer. We're trying to get the down payment for the ideal version. But the prototype we have right now for a year and a half now can handle about three wheel, people, three people in wheelchairs, ramp them in, do the activities. It's a safe, comfortable, temperature-controlled environment. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. I was cold, but it was sorry. Well, <laughs> we, we opened it up for you. No, we I'm were, just kidding. We were in patio mode. We were in patio mode right. drinking uh, uh, water out on the veranda. <laughs> uh, but no, that's very cool. So you can get to go to these places, and they don't have to. You don't have to book or space for anything. Yeah. And come we can out. go to rural locations because there's a lot yeah. of people who have no services in rural locations. So we've been all over the Northwest so far with this, mm-hmm. and we just got a bus as well with a wheelchair lift. So we're going to have two gaming rooms on wheels once that's all finished being fixed up. And then hopefully as we get this GoFundMe, just the down payment to build the ideal version, the ideal version will seat six to eight people in wheelchairs. The walls will open up. The the layout's better. It's a lower ride height. So we can deploy a lot faster. And and then we'll have three game rooms on wheels. Super cool. Touring around the country, hopefully. Are you going to be doing a lot of this? I will be mostly riding the bus for the the local area, for the Spokane area. So the bus will be my my responsibility. (laughs) Uh, He is going to be doing the long-distance hauls and... Um, we'll occasionally do it together. Things like if we if we get our chance to go to Gen Con, we want would like to present at Gen Con. We're trying to get in on that. <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to bring yeah. it all the way over there, or go to PAX and things yeah. like that. Yeah, we'd love to. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good idea to try taking it to the and lo- local cons and then go to for yeah. road trips in the summertime. It's great. Yeah. And we've been the accessibility advocate for uh, Spokon, and and the people at the end said it was the most accessible uh, con they'd ever been to. Yeah, um, and they're like, now go to the other cons and tell them. I'm like, right. well, that's not our primary thing, but we'll. Spread the word. And word we just found Access yeah. for All Spokane is an organization in Spokane County that does that. So we're, we're hooking them up with that. Sounds so, great. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I feel like you've peppered it through of, yep. of where people yep. can find out more yep. information. But where, where can people go to find out more about you personally? Uh, so, John, let's start with you and then uh, uh, more about the, the organization. Well, um, to find out more about me personally, you friend me on Facebook. Uh, go to uh, Spokane Area Gaming Alliance. Uh-huh. I'm the founder of that. We organize uh, role-playing and tabletop gaming for conventions, um, charities, and stores, libraries, and things like that. Um, also, I have the um, D&D Adventures League Spokane. That's my Facebook page. Uh, that's where you'll find out about me and be able to talk to me about things like that. RPGresearch.com is where, of course, all the RPG research information is at. Uh, we're also on YouTube, uh, forward slash RPG Research. Uh, Twitch. We're going to be doing a our game. Heroes of the Mists will be on Twitch coming up in March with a Fantastic. live interactive audience who can affect the gameplay real time oh. by spending oh. XP That's you out in the world. Yeah. You'll be able to buy and spend XP, and actually, real time, I as the GM will modify the game. I've done this before with other shows, mm-hmm. and a real time artist doing artist rendering of the story as it's happening. Oh, we don't God. know. It's it's all you know. It's it's role playing like with some level. improvs uh, professionals from Jet City um, and. So that's coming in March. That's that's going to be Heroes that's of the Mist. So MistHeroes.com for that. Can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, and then, Hawk, where people can find so out. So RPGResearch.com for the research and the community programs. And if you want to sign up as a volunteer, uh-huh. um, oh, you yeah. do have to pass a background check if you want to work with any of our populations, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> You're out. You're out. They know. They know uh, RPGTherapeutics.com for the professional services. Uh, if you need you need me to come in and train people and speak, etc. RPG Education. RPGeducation.com for the online courses that one by one are going up there. There's about 77 classes. One mm-hmm. is up there right now. 
Um, and the RPG tra- so RPGtrailer.com if you want to see more about the trailer oh. and its tours. RPGbus.com as we're fixing it. It's a fixer-upper. Basically everything RPG blank. RPG is you guys. RPGnetwork.net because somebody got the .com. <sighs> so this is a network that it's the gig economy. Basically think Uber and um, Fiverr for renting yourself as a GM and and putting yourself out there to, to get oh. players to pay oh. for you as a professional so game like master Tinder. and such. Yeah. <laughs> 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 if Tinder got paid, then we'd have pro- uh, oh, legal problems. All right. <laughs> Legal's coming down right now to talk uh, to me. So that's, a, uh, that's something that's been in the works, and I've still not launched, but it's still in the works. I've been making progress on that. So. I love it. I love it. And so, GoFundMe. Oh, and GoFundMe.com forward slash RPG trailer. So we're trying to raise 6500 We've got a little over 1000 right now. Towards the down payment for the ideal trailer, I'll take on the payments after that. I just it's that big upfront that they need, and then they'll build. And it's the only company in the in the country that specializes in building wheelchair accessible RVs down in Arizona. So we hit sixty five hundred on that. Boom, we'll start getting that trailer built, uh, and then uh, our Patreon to support research and community programs for RPG research is patreon.com forward slash. RPG research, and you'll be able to see um, some Monthly. of our podcasts that we do. Um, we have some that are more in-depth, the science stuff. Right, if you want more of the science-y, deeper stuff. So we do monthly broadcasts that are just for the Patreon supporters. Now, I'm a big open-source advocate. I believe in making all of this available to the public eventually. Like, you know, we'll, we'll delay it a few weeks or something like that. Uh, so all of this, you can, you can learn all of this on, on the websites. Everything that's in the classes is on the website somewhere, but we put it in a format that's more digestible. Uh, but if you support us on Patreon... Uh, you'll get early access to the shows. You'll you'll get more ability to interact with the show. All kinds of goodies, and you help support the research and the community programs. I love it. I love it. It's a lot. It's so a mouthful, but there's lots to go to. Amazing. I know. Thank you. Really. I'm super fascinated by all the the data and everything that's coming. It's good stuff. I'm gonna so. go dig around in that research rabbit hole. Wonderful. See what. <laughs> and if you need any help, always feel free. You can email rpgresearcher at gmail.com. Right. and they can always guide you and give you links. Because I, for some reason, I'm able to keep track of it, even though it's you're the dungeon master. Amount. You're the dungeon master yes. of your own life yes. uh, and the boardroom, which <laughs> exactly. is another. That's another. Add that to your list of, of things to do is to Indeed. create that self help book. I love it. Thank you guys so much for driving all the way here uh, uh, to talk to you, uh, and the work you're doing is fantastic. So a pleasure and honor to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for I having me. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, so uh, I guess that's it. We're done. I guess that's it. Yeah. That's... Did- that's the show. That's the show. Um, oh. you, we mentioned the uh, uh, Aurora tool set, uh, and I want to make sure I let everybody know, the listeners, we mentioned this a couple times in, the, in a couple other episodes, but Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition is coming out soon yes. from our friends at Beamdog. Uh, all the tool sets and everything that you've made should be compatible. Uh, that's what Trent said. Uh, it'll be compatible out. with the new Enhanced Edition, so you'll have basically every, be able to play it in a... That is so powerful. In a, it, I know, right? Powerful, powerful. And there's still... Be, I mean, you guys are still using it to this day, so yeah. that's, that's pretty fascinating for yeah. you know a, a more than 15-year-old game. Yeah. Uh, insane. Uh, so that's cool. Find out more about about that uh, on uh, Beamdog's website, as well as they've been doing some lives, uh, some great live things. In fact, I think Philip Daigle from from Beamdog did a pretty good uh, send up of Nathan doing his fireside chats, which <gasps> I thought was really funny. He did. He did. Oh, yes, I exactly. I love their little uh, 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 nemesis relationship going on. It's, it's Everyone pretty fun. Everyone needs a nemesis. Exactly. <laughs> That's how you keep going in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms uh, from Codename has got some amazing uh, stuff happening. It's in early access on Steam now. It's a way to send out your adventurers 
on adventures, uh, and they can kill monsters and collect loot and get XP. Well, you just sit there. And all in real time. Yep. It just happens. Yep. And they're just collecting bajillions of loot over and over again. What did Ben Petrosaur say? He had like, uh, uh, I think he said g- gajillion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Real technical words, yep. but they're very high numbers. It's D&D uh, And it continues to go up. They also have Twitch Plays Idol Champions, uh, which is pretty cool. You can find that on uh, twitch.tv slash twitchplaysidolchampions. And you can play together. Everybody can input commands into the chat and basically play that game as a community, which I think is super fascinating, Sue. Uh, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's it from the Dungeons and Dragons side of stuff. Uh, where can people find out about you, Shelly? You can find me on Twitter at Shelly Moo. I am at Greg Tito. Yep. I'm also on Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. I took some pictures with these guys, which will be up on uh, uh, Instagram as well. So go check those out, and I'll and take some more. cute drawings from Edna. Lots of cute drawings. She did a dragon the other day. Did you see that one? Oh. I think so. Yeah, she did like a green dragon. I was like, you know, green dragons breathe, oh, yeah. breathe poison. Corey. And she's like, Danny, No. <laughs> Yeah, hers did something different. Right? It was like a big fire cloud. And yeah. she's like, this is not a D&D dragon. This is just <laughs> a green dragon. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. What ifs? <laughs> it's good stuff. Good uh, but we'll be playing more and uh, you know, incorporating green dragons that breathe fire yeah. uh, uh, into that thing, too. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. You can make it up. Whatever you want. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, find out more about uh, this whole game that we've been talking about at DungeonsAndDragons.com. Download the app at Dragon Plus. Uh, it's bi-monthly issues of that. It's pretty awesome. It's got all the stuff about what's coming up. All the stuff. In the future. And really cool covers. And really cool covers. I love the covers. Yeah, I love those too. We've had an idea of putting all the covers on a t-shirt yes. and being like, mm. oh, you know, for like the year and be like, here's 12, 12 covers or yes. here's six covers because they're amazing. Yeah. Good stuff. Just a poster. Just a poster. I just want a poster. All right, fine. I'll make you a poster. Thank you. We're already making Avalon Hill stickers. Wait, am I not? Oh no! You can say that. Okay, I just good. remembered. I didn't. I haven't said what I want. Oh yeah, right. What She's should I do for Avalon Hill stickers community? What do you want? On yeah. The do you want Magdalena? Yeah. That you can put on your water bottle? Yeah. Yeah. I think you do. I think you do too. Magdalena. Maybe is the, some Robo. Do people know re- what Magdalena is? I mean, She's the the cover of Widow's Walk. If you didn't know, her name is Magdalena. Robo Rally is a good game. And Robo Rally, yes. All those cute little robots. Would you put like that? Would people in the store like little little? Stickers of the Robo Rally ro- robots? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. I like it. Let me know. Let All right, we'll know. do it. It's in development now. All right, well, thank you guys so much. We can still talk forever and ever, but we do uh, need to say the thing that you... Well, I'll, I'll let you say the catchphrase because you said it already. Yeah. Box falls, everybody dies. Ba-dum. Bam! One of these days it's going to break. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs>